It's hard to believe that it's been 10 years, isn't it? And in some respects, it feels like it was just yesterday, the day that uh, our country came under attack. And today, as we look back and we remember with honor those who died that day, not only in New York City, but in Washington, D.C., and in the subsequent years, many who were injured and harmed and brought to their death because of wars that we had to fight in foreign lands. It's incomprehensible for some of us to realize the change that happened in some people's lives. I mean, we think of history now, modern history, as the time prior to 9-11, and we think of modern history as the time after 9-11, don't we? Everything changed that day, everything. But you know, the change that a lot of us experience is just the simple inconvenience of air flight. What once was glamorous way to travel is now just a pain. But for many people, the change that they experienced after 9-11 was devastating. Parents didn't come home from work. Co-workers who they saw every day in a staff meeting wouldn't be at the next staff meeting. Fiancés wouldn't become spouses. And this terrible tragedy that hit our country 10 years ago, about right now, changed all of our lives in ways that are amazing. I just want to pause for a moment and just have a moment of silence in honor and remembrance of those who died that day and in remembrance of those who have fought since then for our country. If you would join me in a moment of silence. Father God, today, on the 10th anniversary of those tragic events, Father, we want to just pause for a moment to honor those who've died. And God, specifically, I pray for their families right now. There are thousands of people around this country who today is a a terrible memory of a nightmare that happened. And God, I pray that you would bring peace in their lives. God, I pray that you would be with those whose husbands and wives left shortly thereafter to go to Afghanistan or Iraq. And God, I pray for those who've lost loved ones in the subsequent wars that we've had to fight. And God, I thank you for those soldiers who stand still today, those people who are involved in our military, and God, those who rushed in to those falling towers that day. God, we're thankful for them. And I pray a special blessing on all of our soldiers who are abroad. God, too, I heard about after the service, Brian and Kyle, God, who are today in Afghanistan. One of those guys was a middle school student when this happened. And God, I pray for this next generation of young men and women who are going to stand as volunteers in harm's way. I pray that you would protect them, defend them, God, and bring peace to their families. God, I want to be reminded today, and I pray that you would remind us that you are the one who is almighty. 
God, that there is no power on this earth, terrorist or otherwise, financial, health, cancer. There is nothing that can separate us from your love. And I pray that we would be reminded of that fact today. As we mourn, as we think about that terrible tragedy, Father God, I pray that overall that we would be reminded of the inescapable fact of your love and that we can never be separated from that. God, help us to remember today and think about the future. God, I pray that we will think about what we have to do, not just as a nation, not just as a church, but individuals to protecting our freedom, both here in our nation and spiritually. And I pray that you would guide and direct us in that. In Jesus' name I pray. You know, it's interesting, when we think about dramatic events in history, we often ask the question, where were you when? Where were you when JFK was shot? Unfortunately, I was nowhere. (laughs) Many of you were not even born yet, like me. Where were you when the space shuttle Challenger lifted off from that launch pad and exploded shortly thereafter in the skies over Florida? I was living in Orlando. I saw it with my own eyes that day. And then where were you when you heard those words, an aircraft has hit the towers? Oh, and another aircraft has hit the towers, and our nation is under attack. Where were you that day that all this tragedy began in New York and in Washington, D.C., and in a rural place called Shanksville, Pennsylvania? Where were you today? Where were you that day when all that happened? Could you imagine what life would be like in the subsequent 10 years? Would you imagine yourself being where you are now today on that day that you heard about this tragic event? I could not even imagine that we would be starting, that I would be leading a church, a a new church start in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. I couldn't have imagined it. And you know, as I reflect on these last 10 years, as tragic as that day was, and as tragic as the wars have been since, I think about the fact that God's hand of providence was still moving. And that God took a terrible tragedy like 9-11, something that we thought was unimaginable, that we weren't prepared for, that even our president, as he was interviewed recently, said, I I wasn't prepared for this. I didn't run on being this great military leader in his campaign. We were unprepared for it. And as I think about those days, I think about the fact that God's hand of providence was still using such a terrible event to spread his gospel message to the world. I wouldn't have imagined that day that 9-11 happened that Cynthia and I would leave suburban Atlanta one day and move to New York, but we did. It's interesting, that day there's a story on the Upper West Side of Manhattan that a group of people were out on a pier Uh, reaching out into the Hudson River, out on a pier, uh, watching what was happening. They just happened to be out on a nice, kind of cool September morning. And all of a sudden, these people who were gathered together out on this pier, out in the Hudson River, looked south just a few miles and saw the awful tragedy that had hit their cities. And this group of people began to ask some tough questions. Why in the world would this happen Is there a God? How in the world could a God who's loving allow this to happen? And in that group of people on a pier on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, there was a young Southern Baptist pastor who started doing his best to answer some of those questions. And literally on a pier in Manhattan, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, an impromptu church service broke out. 
And he began leading some people. And what was a church service, an impromptu church service there on a pier of Manhattan turned into a church called the Journey Church of Manhattan, which still exists today. And it was that event that sparked a group of people called the Southern Baptists, the largest Christian denomination in the world, to start an organization called New Hope New York. And New Hope New York had now a a new emphasis to, to go to New York City and to start 50 churches to preach the gospel of Jesus to a group of people that had been pretty much dead spiritually up until that point. But all of a sudden they realized that the, because of the events of 9-11, people who lived in the metro New York area especially were incredibly spiritually sensitive. And God's hand of providence took a terrible tragedy and turned it into something amazing. And New Hope New York was birthed. And five years later, the 50th church started because of New Hope New York. And thousands of people heard the gospel because God took what was awful and made it for good. And Cynthia and I got to be a part of that. In 2004, I was approached by a friend who was living in New York. He was helping New Hope New York, and his name is Aaron Coe. And Aaron and Carmen Coe talked to us about praying about the possibility of moving to Manhattan to help start a church. And Cynthia and I prayed about it in 2005. We left the comfort of Atlanta and sold a lot of what we had, most of what we had, to move to a very small apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And we got to experience a little bit of the movement of God post 9-11. And there was a spiritual sensitivity in the years following 9-11 in New York that was really, truly amazing. And we absolutely loved our time there. The Gallery Church of Manhattan was birthed to reach the Arts District and a couple other different areas, and it's going great today. It's going great today, along with 48 other new churches that started. But, you know, I learned a lot about suffering during that time because we would hear stories of people. They would tell their stories about what happened at 9-11. You know, we'd hear the story of about, about someone who maybe lost a loved one, or we'd hear the story about someone who maybe lost a very good friend or a coworker, or maybe even a mom or dad. We, we heard one story that really impacted me about a gentleman who was a good friend of ours who during the attacks of 9-11 and during the crash of those buildings was in a subway hundreds of feet away from the World Trade Center site. And his subway stopped, and he got stuck in the subway. He was fine, but he was stuck in the subway for hours. Can you imagine the suffering of his family for those hours and hours and hours until he was able to emerge from deep beneath the earth to give them a phone call to let them know that he was okay? Can you imagine the suffering that that family went through that day? We learned a tremendous amount about afflictions and about people who experience loss. But you know, it's dawned on me here recently that all of the suffering and all the deep pain that people went through there, it's not just exclusive for those who lived in New York City that day. It's not just exclusive for those who had friends in the Pentagon or maybe a a family member on Flight 93 that crashed into Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Suffering is something that comes in all shapes and sizes, doesn't it? It comes in all forms, comes in all fashions, all colors. Suffering can be health. It can be emotion, it can be financial, it can be relational, it can be some sort of affliction or victimization. And some of you may have walked in here today and your scars may not look like those people in New York City that we learned a lot from, but you know what, for you, they're just as deep, aren't they? They're just as harsh, 
they're just as tough. We all are afflicted, and we all have suffering of some kind. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, says something about suffering, and you heard it from then-President George W. Bush. Paul reminds the church in Rome that there is a love of, uh, from God through Jesus Christ that's inescapable. Listen to these words. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God through Christ Jesus. And I think that's a good reminder. It was a reminder that President George Bush gave to our country back then. But I think 10 years later, for our spiritual suffering and the suffering, the spiritual suffering of those around us, we need to be reminded that there is, I want you to catch this, that there is the possibility of a love that's inescapable from the hand of providence. That God loved us so much that he sent his son to suffer for us. President Bush said those words to a suffering nation. And you may be in here today and you're like, Todd, I'm suffering just as much. Maybe those words are powerful for you. But it's interesting because Paul gets very specific and he says that that inescapable love can be found through God in Jesus Christ. And if you're in here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I want to challenge you, make today your day of salvation because the love of God through Christ Jesus, is a love that's inescapable. You can't outrun it. You can't outcry it. You can't outcounsel it. It is inescapable. God's love is inescapable. And it's interesting because during times of suffering, we have this tendency in our humanness to say that God is non-existent. The hand of providence cannot be found in the rubble of New York City. There's no possible way. It can't be found in the drama of my life, Todd. He is not there. He's got to be dead. And so in our lives, we often render God incapable of helping us in our suffering and in our affliction. But the truth of the matter is, is that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And that love is offered to anyone who will accept it anytime at any place. There's a new book out by a lady by the name of Janelle Guzman McMillan. She wrote a book. It was just released recently. It's called Angel in the Rubble, The Miraculous Rescue of 9-11's Last Survivor. And Janelle is known as the last survivor of the Twin Towers that crashed. You see, that morning, she walked or she got on an elevator and took that elevator up to her office, which was high above one of those two towers. And she probably looked over New York City of Manhattan that day, saw the beautiful sky. And all of a sudden, her tower, her workplace, was hit by a commercial airliner. And she gathered together some of her co-workers, and they began to walk many, many stories down, uh, uh, down the stairs where they were seeking hope and seeking safety. And they got to the 13th floor, all the way down to the 13th floor, and I can't imagine this because I'm a guy, but she stopped for a moment to take off her heels, her high heels that she had been walking in. She took off her heels, and all of a sudden, in an instant, everything came crashing down, and she found herself literally buried in a pile of rubble at the bottom of the Twin Towers. 
And she stayed there and she survived with one arm pinned under a piece of steel and one arm free. She survived just barely beneath the surface of that rubble for 27 hours. Can you imagine the suffering that she was going through? But she had all of her faculties. She was able to think. She was able to speak. She kept crying out, but she wasn't crying out for rescue from a rescuer. She was crying out to God to save her, to save her life and to save her soul. Janelle goes on to talk about how she grew up in a Christian home and she knew God's love. She knew the answer to have that inescapable love was faith in Jesus Christ, but she wanted to live life her own way. And as she said, she had a wild life of partying, drinking, and doing whatever she wanted. And in the midst of that rubble during those 27 hours, she kept crying out to God, God, please save my life, save my soul. I accept you as my savior. And if you save my life, I will live for you. I will live for you from this moment forward. And she kept crying that out during this time. Right before her rescue, she cried out to God one more time to save her life, that she'd give her life to him. And she said, God, show me a sign. Please show me a sign that you heard me, that you heard my cry. And within moments of uttering those words, a hand grabbed hers out of the rubble and said, Janelle, you're going to be okay. My name's Paul. And she was rescued a few minutes later. She got out of the rubble and she looked around her rescuers and not one of them had the name of Paul. And Janelle Gutzman McMillan is absolutely convinced that God sent an angel to confirm that he had heard her cry and that he had heard her plea for salvation. You see, she didn't let the rubble of her life literally prevent her from accepting that love of God that was found through Jesus Christ. She accepted him in the midst of all that. And you know what? Our God is a God who loves us so much. It doesn't matter the shambles that our lives are in. It doesn't matter the mess that our community's life is in. It doesn't matter the mess that our nation's life is in. in. If we cry out to him and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ, the word of God promises that we absolutely will be saved. It doesn't matter how or when, only that you ask for forgiveness of your sins and accept Jesus as your savior. The suffering that God endured on the cross through his son Jesus is far beyond any of our comprehension. It's far beyond anything that anyone experienced on 9-11. You see, God sent his son Jesus to die an excruciating death on a cross. Experts tell us that, uh, that death on a cross, crucifixion, is one of the most excruciating, painful ways to die. But not only did he have physical suffering, but the Bible tells us, I want you to catch this, that Jesus himself, the son of God, had the sins of the world on him at that moment. He wasn't suffering just physically. He was also suffering spiritually. It's something that we can't imagine, but he did it for you and for me. And so maybe some of you are in here today and your life is a picture of Janelle Guzman McMillan's. It's rubble. It's a mess. I want you to be encouraged Don't allow the mess of your life to prevent you from crying out for salvation to God. He can do it, and he will do it, and he promises to do it. As I think about suffering, and I think about the suffering of the world, and I think about the suffering of our community, and I think about the suffering of people around us, our friends and our family, on this anniversary of 9-11, this 10-year anniversary, I don't want to just reflect on the past. I'm the type of person, and I hope you are too, that wants to dream about the future. 
And so today, as we've talked about 9-11 and as we're sharing and talking about suffering, I want us to consider the spiritual suffering that people around us experience. And I want to dream about on day one of Hilton Head Island Community Church what we can become. And so today I want to share with you five dreams that I have that kind of give us the spirit of what I want us to become. This is not what we're going to do as a church, but I believe this is what God is calling us to be as a church. So the first thing that I dream of when I think about the future of Hilton Head Island Community Church is I dream of a church that tells people that they can belong before they must believe or behave. And that's a principle that's much debated in today's church. But you know what? It's a principle that comes right off the pages of Scripture. Jesus himself worked in the spirit of this principle that we need to be a people that tell people that they can belong before they must believe or behave. Jesus encountered a rich man who had everything that the world has to offer, but he had nothing spiritually. In Mark 10, 17 through 22, Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus stops him and says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except for God alone. Verse 19 says, you know the commandments, Jesus goes on to say. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your mother and father. And in verse 20, he utters these words, teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him. And I'm going to fill in the blank for a moment. Jesus saw a spiritually dead man who lived the right way, but he had nothing spiritually. And Jesus, what did he do? He loved him. You see, Jesus said that you can belong before you clean up your life. You can belong, you can be a part of my love before you have all your behavior right. And maybe for you, believing in Jesus, having that faith is going to be a little more difficult for you than maybe someone else. You can belong to my love before you can believe. And so Jesus accepted this man and ultimately told him how he could have eternal life. But he did the thing that I dream of as a church, and that is, is that we offer love, that we accept people where they are, just like Jesus did, because Jesus accepted people exactly where they are. That's the kind of church that I dream of Hilton Head Island Community Church being. When I dream of the future of Hilton Head Island Community Church, I dream of a church that offers people the opportunity to deal with their habits and their hurts and their hang-ups without, I want you to catch this, the embarrassment of being judged. The book of James teaches clearly that the part of the church's role is to deal directly with sin and that we are to confess our sins to each other. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, and I think that Hilton Head Island Community Church needs to be a, a place where people confess their sins and receive forgiveness of their sins, but they can't do it in a type of environment where there's judgment, where people feel like they're judged for their sins. You see, we as a church are not supposed to be the judge and the jury. We should not pounce and pile on people for their uh, faults and their failures like the Pharisees did during Jesus' day. We should lovingly help restore them to a new place in life and to point them to Jesus, who is the one that can forgive them of their sins. 
Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, said this. He was talking to different people at different times in the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he gave the Beatitudes at the beginning in Matthew 5, and then Matthew 6 and 7. He gave values we're supposed to live by, and we come to chapter 7, and he deals with the religious people. Have you ever encountered somebody who's religious, judgmental? They look down their nose at you when they have something in their life that's big, and Jesus says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. You see, we need to be a place that deals with the stuff of life in a way that's not judgmental. We have to deal with it. We need to work on it, but we shouldn't be judgmental, Jesus says. And he goes on in that uh, same uh, passage to say, be careful not to point out the speck of dust in your neighbor's eye when you have a plank out of your own. We need to be careful to not fall into the trap of being a hypocrite and being a Pharisee like Jesus had all around him. When I dream of the future of Hilton Annick Island Community Church, I dream of a church that is a spiritual urgent care center open for people to receive healing in a time of crisis. That day that 9-11 happened, Rudy Giuliani, the then mayor of New York City, went into action. And five times he tried to go down to the World Trade Center and was backed off because something new was happening. There was a new threat. And he got as far as uh, uh, City Hall, which is down near that area. And he walked into City Hall, and there was his wife, who had previously been a nurse, helping people who had gathered in City Hall. City Hall had been turned into a hospital of sorts because all the hospitals in lower Manhattan were filled up with people who were hurt or were dying. And all of a sudden, this place of business, this place of government, became a healing station for those who were hurting. That's the way I want the church to be. That's the way I want Hilton Head Island Community Church to be, to be open for being a place where people come and receive healing from their afflictions. Now, the Bible nowhere says that we ought to deal with every single problem that everybody has, but you know what we're supposed to deal with? We're supposed to deal with the spiritual problems, aren't we? We're supposed to point people who are sinners, who need God, we're supposed to point them to the loving message of Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to help people who are weary. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the one who offers rest, not us, but we as a church need to point people to the loving hands of the Savior who will offer rest. Our world is in crisis. We have a crisis, an economic crisis that's going on five years. We have a leadership crisis. We have health crises in different places. We have the threat of terrorism. Our world is reaching out and is going to continue to reach out to something or someone. Why not Hilton Head Island Community Church? And there are many good churches in our community, but I want us to have the lenses of if not us, then who is going to reach our community? If not us, then who? When I dream of the future of Hilton Head Island Community Church, I dream of a church that demonstrates the love of Christ to those who are suffering. That demonstrates the love of Christ to those who are suffering inside the church and outside the church. One of my favorite stories from 9-11 and the heroics of 9-11 is Todd Beamer. I've told the story, I think, before, and some of you have read Lisa Beamer, his wife's book. They lived in, in New Jersey, and that morning, Todd Beamer boarded flight 93, not knowing that that would be the last time you would ever board a plane. And he and others, once they realized what was going on in our country, decided that they would break into the cockpit of that flight and they would commandeer back that flight from the terrorists. Well, a fight ensued and the next thing you knew, flight 93 went crashing down into a field headlong. 
in a rural part of Pennsylvania. When their pastor, when the Beamer's pastor heard about the tragedy that one of his parishioners had just been through, he rushed to the Beamer's house to offer solace, to be a comfort, to pray, and to comfort the boys and Lisa, and to be there. And you know what he found when he showed up? Cars everywhere. Their small group had showed up in mass well before he could get there. He literally says, I couldn't find a place to park. That's the kind of church I want us to become. I want us to be a church that's filled with small groups that are care stations, that when you hurt, you have someone to call. You have a group of people that will uh, uh, live that suffering and that affliction with you and that will reach out in our community and help others. We just finished studying the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John last month. Listen to how John puts it. He says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And he says in verse 10, skipping down to verse 10, This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us, and He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the kind of church that I dream of us being. And lastly, I dream of Hilton Head Island Community Church as a church that allows broken people who have been redeemed to passionately worship God. You know, the beauty of the story of the good news of Jesus, the centerpiece of that is our afflictions, is our suffering, and is our sin. If there was no sin, if there was no suffering, if there were no afflictions in the world, there would be no need for Jesus. There'd be no need for redemption. There'd be no need for atonement. There would be no need for God if we didn't have afflictions and pain and suffering. And the beauty of the gospel story is that God sent his son to be our redemption. And David, all the way back in the Old Testament, says this in Psalm 107, verses 1, 1 and 2. He says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. And then in the second verse, he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He's pointing back to that first phrase that says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And he's saying those who have been redeemed now through the blood of Jesus Christ, that we ought to worship and that we ought to give praise. And I dream of a church and I picture and view a church in the future where people who were once captured in their sin and captured in their afflictions and in their suffering are praising and worshiping God and giving him all the glory that's due his name. It's a beautiful picture of those who were afflicted and suffering and now are redeemed and healed, giving glory to God in the best way that they can. That's what I dream of the church being. That's what I dream of Hilton Head Island Community Church being. And so as I reflected on these last 10 years, as I kind of reflect and pray about these future years, that's the kind of church that I want us to be. I hope that you're with me, and I hope that you can be a part. You know, it's interesting. We as a nation can make change. We as a church can make change. But until we individually decide that we want to be like this, that's the point that God can truly make change in our community. We have 25,000 plus people who are suffering spiritually. We have 25,000 plus people, many of whom don't know Jesus as their personal savior. 25,000 people in our community, on our island, who live next door to you and who you work with, who are suffering spiritually. And you 
have the answer. Many of you who already are redeemed have the answer. And the answer is, is that during their suffering, in the rubble of their lives, in the midst of the chaos, we can point them to Jesus who has a love that is inescapable. It's our job to be determined to be that kind of passionate people. Jesus, when he was walking through the hillside of Jerusalem, he looked over the city of Jerusalem and he became passionate. You can read it in Matthew 9, at the end of Matthew 9. He looks over Jerusalem and he becomes very passionate about the lost sheep of Jerusalem. And then in Matthew 10, he goes to work and he brings in his disciples. But it's that verse in Matthew 11 where they're in the midst of crisis and they're in the midst of dealing with all these afflictions that all these people had. And Jesus says, come to me, those of you who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. Some of you are in here today and you're the one that needs healing. You're the one that needs restoration. Maybe you're the one that needs salvation. But a lot of you are in here today and you've been redeemed. And it's day one of Hilton Head Island Community Church. And let's together join arms and join hands and say this is the kind of church that we want to be in the future. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your love. Of that love that absolutely we can't escape from it. And God, I pray that you would uh, just do a work in and through Hilton Head Island Community Church beginning now. God, I pray as we prepare for the future that you prepare our hearts individually, that we would determine in our own lives that this is what we want to become. God, and I pray for any wicked way, as David said, within us, that you would prepare our hearts, prepare our minds. God, you've got amazing things in our future. We're four to six months away from moving into a new facility where we can reach out in our community. There, there are churches partnering together in our community like no other time ever. The future looks amazing. But God, until we personally determine that we are going to be people who point the suffering, the, the people who are spiritually suffering to you, God, you can't use us. It's only then that you're going to use us in a miraculous way. Help us individually to become passionate like you were to help those who suffered, to help those who are suffering to point people who are in the midst of chaos to the love that's inescapable, and that's the love through you. Father, I pray for anyone in here who may not know you as their Savior. Oh, God, I pray that September 11th, 2011, be their day of salvation. If you're in here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says what you have to do is confess of your sins and ask Jesus to be your Savior. So right now, I'm going to pray a prayer in the silence of this room with every head bowed and every eye closed. And I'm going to ask you, if you've never prayed that prayer of salvation, that you make today the day that you do that. You make today the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a prayer that goes something like this. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. Today, I confess of my sins and I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. Help me to realize that strong love that you have for me that I now have. And help me to turn over my old ways and to turn to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I promise you I won't embarrass you. But if you prayed that prayer right now with me in the silence of your heart, just lift up your hand so I can quietly pray for you. Anyone in here, pray that prayer. Amen. Any others? This morning. Pray that prayer of salvation. Amen. Amen. I see. Any others this morning? 
Father, I thank you for those who have given their life to you this morning. God, I pray for a church, Hilton Head Island Community Church, as we're on just the beginning stage, we're on the starting line today. God, I pray that you do an amazing work, not for my glory, not for Hilton Head Island Community Church's glory, not for Jeff Cranston or Low Country's glory, but God, I pray that you do an amazing work in our community so that your kingdom grows and so that people can have the hope of heaven through you. And I pray that in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said,